Welcome to the Fantasy NASCAR Podcast. I am Pierce Dietrich. You can follow me on Twitter at Race for the Prize. You can also go to my website, raceforthepriz.com. You can see it on your screen. This is where you can get information every month about the Fantasy NASCAR Package. The spreadsheet, 30 bucks for the month of February. The Clash, Daytona, Atlanta, Las Vegas, projections, practice data, lap-by-lap data, past results, advanced metrics, optimizing tools, mass entry tools, everything you could possibly need at raceforthepriz.com. Today we're talking L.A. Clash. We're going to do the early week picks. I know Ken is out there listening, and Ken would always get upset. What's the point of doing this? You got to wait for qualifying and practice. This is stupid. Go back to the... Look, Ken, we'll do a regular show as well. I will try to do my best to do a post-qualifying, post-practice show. I know it's important, and I will try to do it. But this is important as well, because this is the moment early in the week where we can go over current form, although we don't really have too much current form since it's the first race of the season, but we do have some data. We can go over historical data as well and circle the boxes and find out the drivers that tend to do well at this type of track because we all know that when we get into close to lock, you don't want to completely rely on practice data. You don't want to completely rely 100% on qualifying data that is a part of the process but you also need to look at their current form who's running well at the moment you also need to run the the idea of who is running well at these types of tracks you balance all of that out as you are making picks yes qualifying and practice are important but early in the week going through these guys and dotting your i's and crossing your t's and getting a good concept of who's going to run well. Because, look, if I go through this podcast today and I identify drivers that have been fast, current form, or at this type of track or at a comparable track, then if in qualifying and practice to check all the boxes, then they elevate to being one of the best plays. Now, what if there's a guy that I do not like at this type of track or I do not like the current form, and then for whatever reason they pop off in practice or in qualifying – I want to be careful of going completely all in on that driver just because they laid down some hot laps. Now, the only way I can prevent myself from going all in on a guy that went down on some hot laps is if I do my early week picks for the clash, early week research, put in the homework, put your nose to the grindstone. That's what we're going to do. And we're going to look at specific drivers from previous clash races or comparable racetracks right now i'll just tell you where i stand I'm not crazy about phoenix being a good reference point really don't like leaning into phoenix it's more of an intermediate track yeah it does have a flat turn but it's just a flat turn it's a wide sweeping flat turn i don't believe that there is any real comparison there not crazy martinsville is fine i like martinsville i don't know if i completely love martinsville and I'll explain that in a second. It still is a pretty good, decent idea. The half mile, short flat track, hugging the bottom, bumper to bumper. You got to kind of move guys at times. You kind of dive bomb guys at times. Everyone knows, having lived near Martinsville for almost a decade, it's one of my, it is my favorite track. New Hampshire, a bigger version. It's fine. I don't know if I'm crazy about it, but I like it a lot more than Phoenix as a point of reference, but I'm warming up to the idea of Richmond being my favorite. The reason why I like Richmond as a reference point 
is because at times with Richmond, if you want to make passes, you can make passes by rolling the outside. And if you go back and you watch the clash race again from last season, much of the passing there, I mean, there's, there's going to be dive bombs. There's going to be bumper movement. But we also witnessed drivers really being able to roll the outside and get in position and make some passes. If you see Ryan Priest at the beginning of the second stage or the second half of the race, how does he make hay? He does so on the outside. It's not the fastest way around. There is some speed there. But what can happen and what did happen is sometimes the guys on the bottom get into a bit of a log jam. One slow guy on the bottom stacks everybody up. And then if you chose to run the outside, you can grab two or three spots immediately. And if you grab two or three spots immediately on a restart or early in the run and you get an early caution, then wham, you're locked into those five spots and we reset again. A lot of the passing wasn't necessarily completing a full pass. It was getting out ahead of a car and then a caution comes out and you get scored with the leading spot or the spot ahead of that driver. Richmond has a little bit of that drive off being able to pass on the outside. And if a driver then can run well, make movements at Richmond, then think this track suits them a little bit better because the short flat turns of this track are a little bit more, I don't want to say sweeping like Richmond, but it's got an oblong shape more so than a paperclip shape like at Martinsville. So I think there's something, a little something to that. It's a little bit wider. There's a little bit of an outside. You can make moves that way. You don't have to trust the Richmond data. You don't have to push any one of those points up further than the other. But I think there is something to really being able to get around the outside of a drive, outside and make some moves. And, you know, Tony Stewart talked about this last year with Ryan Priest running well. That Ryan Priest is used to these bull rings. He's used to these same kinds of battles that are really different. I know we all have the short flat track. This is a unique short flat track design unlike any other track. It is very much like a bull ring, which they would run in the modified series of the short track series that Priest would run. And having the experience of knowing how to pass in those situations, knowing that the bottom can stack up and you can run the outside, when to run three wide. A lot of this race is a chess, well, it's a bully fest. You want to push people out of the way, move people. But it's also identifying what's going on in front of you and knowing when it's about to go three wide and where you need to go, where you need to be, when to run in the outside, when to run in the non-preferred groove. So uh, leaning on that, and continue to talk about Priest, who had a terrific race, as you can see on the screen. Let me see if I can. Well, I know I can. Let me pull it up. Let me go full screen for you guys. Make it as big as possible. And actually, I want to zoom it in a little bit more. Make it easier for you to see. We'll make it as big as possible. Why not? I hate it when I watch a YouTube DFS video and the guy's got the spreadsheet and you can't even see it. It's big on my screen. I know it's big on your screen, but it's not big on the YouTube viewer screen. So we'll sort it last year by finishing position in the LA Clash. And where is Priest? Of course, he's not listed on this thing right now at the moment. Isn't that great? We'll pop it in.
and that should do it. Spreadsheet life. Whoa. Come on. There it should be. And so pre-finished sevens, they didn't quite get to finish, but then that can be said for a lot of the drivers. What we're really just trying to do is predict who can run well. Doesn't mean they always will run well or finish well. So Priest finished seventh. More importantly, scored 17 hawk points. That was the most. Or dominator points or fast laps and lap sled points. That's a fast car. He did not have a fast car in practice. We went over that in the previous video. You can also find that in the Fantasy NASCAR spreadsheet at racesupprise.com. Just go to the last tab. And you can see Priest really didn't lay down a bunch of laps in practice. I like practice. I'm going to use practice. But there is a not just a small caveat, there is going to be a large asterisk. And we'll walk through that again since we are here before we go through the picks. What's going to be the deal with practice? And you can see the correlation. I've made the video. I don't need to go back over that. I think it's significant. It's going to help, but it's not going to be the end-all, be-all, Ken. You can use practice data, and you can help it make your picks, but it's not going to tell you who's going to be the fast in this race in particular. And it goes back to what I talked about earlier about this being a unique short flat track, really unlike any other. This kind of separates it from Martinsville in that if you go out and practice, it's going to help, right? If, you, if you're how fast in practice like Truex was last year, or you're going to qualify towards the front of your heat race. If you qualify towards the front of your heat race, you're going to finish towards the front of your heat race. And that means you're going to have really good qualifying position for the actual race. And that means you're more than likely going to be able to score finishing position points and be one of the few drivers that are going to lead laps, run fast laps, be a hog slash dominator. So practice is important, especially from the racing perspective. But practice doesn't really mean anything in terms of identifying who has speed. Yeah, it helps. If you are fast in practice, then you have a fast car and you kind of know your way around. But the way that you know your way around is the fastest way around. In practice, everyone is going to run the same preferred groove. They're going to run the same racing line near the bottom. And if you're fast there, great. But that is not a simulation of the race. If you want to perform well in the race, you're going to need to be able to be fast in non-preferred grooves, non preferred racing lines and that was what Brian Priest was able to do as I mentioned earlier possibly because of his modified background he had learned how to get around a racetrack when you're not in the ideal spot or how to hold a position on the racetrack when you're not in an ideal spot how to make moves and pass people in the middle and on the top and to witness battles going on ahead of you to witness and be able to identify early stack ups ahead of you and how to change lanes and how to protect. You're not going to see that in practice. Guys that just go out and run fast laps, hot laps around the bottom. That is great until the race starts and you're on the outside and you're in a lane that you haven't practiced and you're running side by side, which you did not do in practice. That's why Ryan Priest was able to do a lot better than what is practiced. So yeah, Ryan Priest in a one groove 
Online stacked up almost like Martinsville. Maybe he's not that good. You put him in a different racetrack like this bull ring where we're not really all that spread out like at Martinsville. We're not running this giant freight train of everybody just staying on the bottom, staying on the bottom, and you inch your way closer and you bump somebody out of the way. That's not the way the LA Clash works, and that's why I'm not necessarily in love with this track. Same thing with New Hampshire. You know, within a few laps, it's just one giant freight train, and it's all about getting in and getting off a little bit better. It's not about a two-lane circus. I mean, that's really what this bull ring is. It doesn't ever turn into just one single file line, beating your guy down into the corner, driving off a little better, give him a little bit of bumper, move on, see you later, have a nice day. This thing runs side by side for lots of laps. And that being the case, drivers that are able to navigate both lanes and not lose positions to be able to gain positions are going to excel. And that's simply just something you can't practice. They're not going to practice that way. And the practice data will not show you who has speed on the outside. That's kind of why I like Richmond, because at times during the race, you have to demonstrate the ability to pass on the outside. Ryan Priest was not fast laying hot laps. He was faster than everybody else when it came to running in non-preferred groups. All right, I believe I've hammered that point away. Let's talk about some of the drivers and who we think are going to run well. We'll start with JGR. Top list going to be Martin Tricks Jr. Won this race last year. Fast in all the practices. Qualifies up front, stays up front. That's great. My only concern is what happens if he gets buried in traffic? Is he going to be able to dig himself out? I don't know. He's up front all day. But what you have to love is his finishes at these short flat tracks last year, always solid, maybe one of the best short track drivers around. And then you look at the two Richmond races, a significant amount of hog points, 13 in the fall, 23 in the spring, 103 at New Hampshire, 25 at Martinsville in the fall, 12 at Phoenix in the fall. That's a fast car. That's a driver knows what he's doing. Martin Truex Jr., especially if he goes out, like last year, practices well. <laughs> Heat races well, qualifies well. Everything will be fine. I don't have to really go too much into that. Let's talk about the rest of his JGR stable. The second driver that I'm going to put in, if I am looking at Martin or at JGR, it's going to be Christopher Bell for me. Most people probably need a Denny Hamlin. I'm going to tell you why I like Christopher Bell a little bit more. Obviously, got the points here. 13 and 11, Hulk points at Richmond. Fast in New Hampshire. He has quite a New Hampshire win under his belt, a near Richmond win under his belt. Uh, he did dominate both of those racetracks in the Xfinity Series. He's even got a Martinsville win. Just a good short track driver, always has been. And although his finish wasn't great, if you look at all the lap-by-lap -lap data and really analyze his runs, he ran a lot better than probably the finishing position shows. So I like Christopher Bell for that reason. Denny Hamlin, based on skill, talent, equipment, he could be number one JGR. He could be number one on the top overall board. My only concern, and this might be a little bit more narrative-driven, and that's fine. It's early week picks. It's an idea that will be floated around. We'll see how he does in practice and qualifying. 
But for now, an exhibition race just doesn't seem like to be where I want to play Denny Hamlin. If something goes wrong, if there is a mistake, I can easily see Hamlin just phoning the race in. He gets spun. Now he's got to get 15 positions in the last 60 laps. I'm not really completely certain that Denny Hamlin is going to go all out in the L.A. Clash race to try to gain those positions. I don't know Christopher Bell will either, but you're going to pay a lot for Denny Hamlin. You're paying a lot for a driver that I don't know if he is 100% committed. If he qualifies up front and starts on the pole, then it's probably warranted. It's justified, and you can bump him right back up. But where I sit early in the week, spending a high price tag on Denny Hamlin in an exhibition race, in this specific exhibition race, it just doesn't uh, cry out to me. I think your last JGR driver, which will be Ty Gibbs, who looked fine during this race, was in the back, was making modest movements, and he gets spun his day ends early. So you really don't have a good reference point for Gibbs. Although he was much better than a 26th place driver, he would have climbed his way forward. Needs more experience. And you know, maybe he was a little more deferential in his rookie season and a little patient. I would imagine that's going to change this season. How much? Hopefully more because this is not a race to be passive or patient or deferential. It's take. It's, it's not take. It's give or take. And the reality is it's just give. You can't really take in this. If you take in this race, you're not going to have a good day. you got to be the first to give and to give and to give some more. And we've seen that with you. Austin Dillon will be a perfect example. He was not afraid to put the bumper to anyone, everyone, and just go ahead and get those positions. That'll close out the JGR stable. Truex, obviously, at the top. Bell's there. And then the other two, maybe not as crazy about. Move on to the next big dog team. That will be Hendrick. Top of the Hendrick list will be Kyle Larson for me. Fifth in the last two clash races. Has transformed into a great short track racer. Just a great racer. Everywhere you put Larson. You know, I never expected him to win a Martinsville race which is crazy because you should just go ahead and expect him to win everywhere. But in his career, he's really struggled at Martinsville. Now, joining Hendrick helps, but also being Kyle Larson helps as well. And when he checked that box, all right, this guy can win everywhere. He's won at Phoenix. He can do it all. He's won at Richmond. He won at Richmond last year. And Hendrick has been good at these types of tracks for just about ever. When it's not a Kyle Larson day at a short flat track or a short track, then it's William Byron day or it's a Chase Elliott day or even an Alex Bowman day. So everything lines up for him. And another thing that I really love about Kyle Larson coming into this race and coming into this race every year is Kyle Larson doesn't have an off season. When it comes to drivers in this field who've been racing every week, who are tuned in and ready to go, Kyle Larson did the Chili Bowl. Kyle Larson, at the same time as running the Chili Bowl, was also running the Wild West Shootout, flying in between. Running a late model, then jumping over to a sprint car, jumping back over to a late model, jumping back over to a sprint car. Pretty crazy, intense. No off-season for the man. I would say he's dialed in. Number two is going to have to be William Byron for Hendrick. 
And both of these guys are very much at the top of the board overall, not just with their prospective teams. Hasn't put together a great clash race yet. That's okay. We know he's been strong to short flat tracks. Richmond in the spring, probably better than his teammate Kyle Larson. I think his driver rating was higher, maybe. 52 hog points, 35 hog points at Phoenix. Last year really was his championship season. He couldn't get it done. As they say, you got to lose a championship before you win a championship. I don't know how much of that really matters or is true, but it is fun to say. I think William Byron comes into the season very hungry, wants to win, and this is a good spot to make a statement. Whether he wants to make a statement or not, I do really believe that he's going to build upon last year's race. This race suits him. He can absolutely get it done. Number three... It's a close one, and I'm going to lean with Chase Elliott, which is a little tricky because Chase Elliott's coming off a terrible year. But because Chase Elliott is coming off a terrible year, again, if you're playing the narrative card motivation like we are with Byron, then I want to play that same motivation narrative card with Chase Elliott. After a terrible year, he really wants to get out of the gates. The most popular driver in NASCAR really wants to look good in L.A., and he, like the rest of his stable, are good, is good at short flat tracks. Last year didn't have a very good race at the Clash, but he got damaged early when running into Ryan Blaney. As Tony Stewart talked about in the broadcast, well, damage in terms of aero isn't going to matter. But if the damage causes some suspension damage, then yeah, it's going to explain why Chase Elliott's not going to be able to work through the field. Either way, I think the damage was significant enough that it really hindered his chances. Didn't really love his car either. So, yeah, Chase Elliott really is struggling in practice. And if you can't get around on the non-preferred groove, then maybe, or on the preferred groove, maybe you can't on the non. And I'm like, wait a second, but Ryan Priest couldn't get around on the non-preferred, How did it, or the preferred. Why do we expect him to get around? On, yeah, that's really no way of telling that. So I'm not going to let practice completely deter me from playing Chase Elliott. The motivation's there. We know he has enough of a history there. We'll wait and see. But if I'm just ranking Hendrick, he's number three. But it doesn't mean he's number three on my overall board for LA Clash picks. He's not. There's a significant margin, almost a canyon between Byron and Elliott. But that would be three. And then I'm probably being too hard on Alex Bowman because he has just as much talent as his teammates. Finished fourth in this race last year. Yes, as I stated in previous videos, he did make a lot of his gains during the quick caution wreck fest at the beginning of stage two. But nonetheless, he was able to hold position once the race went semi-green to finish out. And I think that is important. And look, it, not all the passes are going to be completely justified and commendable and admirable. Some of them are going to be quick, dirty, slick, getting around somebody, lucking out when the caution flag comes out, just the way that it is. But being able to maintain position is a significant skill. Bowman demonstrated last year by finishing fourth. We know that he has a Richmond win. We know that he has a Martinsville win in his back pocket. Didn't do much last year in terms of call points at those tracks or finishes. But the year before that, he was pretty solid. We'll see how that goes. Um, not crazy about playing him, but if he comes at a low price tag, then why not? Uh, since I can see him on the screen here, 2311 Racing. Definitely want to consider them. Reddick finished sixth. 
got 21st in the 22 class, but that's he led a bunch of laps in that race, ends up having an issue. You look at the short flat tracks, Richmond in the fall, 32. You can see here back the L.A. Clash in 2022, Reddick at 16 hauled points, second most, 32, Richmond in the fall. I like what I see short flat track-wise out of 23.11. I think their alliance with JGR Toyotas is getting stronger. We know the Toyotas have excelled at these tracks. Now we're seeing the expanded Toyota team do well at these tracks, and it's not just him. He's probably not the best the first guy I'm going to go to in this race for 23-11, the first guy I go to might be Bubba Wallace, who also ran well at Richmond in the fall. And Richmond in these short tracks have never really been a strength of Bubba Wallace, but we're seeing him grow. We're seeing that team grow. And he should have, I don't know if he was going to win the clash last year, but he was for sure going to get a top three if Austin Dillon doesn't move him. Had a terrific race at LA. So that's back-to-back years where a 2311 driver, well, I guess it's not back-to-back years for a 2311 driver, technically. Because that would have, Tyler Reddick would have been with a different team, but either way, maybe they shared notes. Anyway, you got Bo Wallace with 15 hall points here, 34 here. And then the story with Bo Wallace is always the same. I talked to my neighbor down the road, and man, does that guy hate Bubba Wallace. And man, do a lot of NASCAR fans hate Bubba Wallace. Man, do a lot of DFS NASCAR fans hate Bubba Wallace. And their emotions take over. And maybe they don't necessarily completely fade Bubba Wallace in Daily Fantasy NASCAR. But they do play less of him than they should. Bubba Wallace is always a leverage spot. You're always going to get lower ownership. You can always go over the field. And if he has a good race, you are really sitting pretty with one of your picks. And this clash race is going to be a perfect opportunity to take advantage of that. And even the people who have nothing politically against the events surrounding Bubba Wallace, many just don't believe in him as a race car driver because he's still a young race car driver. Many don't believe in 2311 because it's still a new team. All of that weighs in as well and suppresses his ownership. And this might be the time to start buying in on Bubba Wallace because if he continues to grow, eventually that's going to fade and people are going to have to take their biases and set them to the side and say, whatever, the car's good, he's good, I got a plan. Very similar to Kyle Busch. A lot of people were hesitant to always roster Kyle Busch because I don't like him. He's mean. Or I don't like Brad Kozlowski. There's just something about that guy rubs me the wrong wood. Well, if they're winning races and leading laps, you're going to have to start playing them. Just take your medicine, choke it down. You don't have to like it. What's the next team that we want to talk about? Those guys are probably below the top JGR guys for me and below the top Hendrick guys. But they're definitely higher than the bottom of JGR and the bottom of Hendrick. Ryan Priest gives us an opportunity here to talk about SHR. It's kind of unbelievable that Ryan Priest might be the top driver on SHR. So who is the stable on Tim? Josh Berry. It's Noah Gregson. It's Chase Briscoe. We'll start with Priest because he ran really well. 
I don't need to go any much further into the priest information that I haven't already talked about. It is a good point to reference that even during the SHR, Stuart Haas Ford struggles over the last couple of seasons, they have maintained some respect or even dominance at times at the short tracks, at the short flat tracks, beat Eric Almirola, Kevin winning at New Hampshire, Kevin Harvick, winning at Richmond, Chase Briscoe, winning at Phoenix, and then even Ryan Priest's performance at this track last year. Ryan Priest had a really strong performance at Martinsville last season until he got buried in traffic. You can see that he finished fifth at Richmond in the fall. They know what they're doing, and on SHR, in terms of continuity, Priest probably has the best. Briscoe changed crew chiefs last season, went back to Boswell, the guy that was his Xfinity dude, when they were winning all those races. And that was a strange time. It was COVID, right? So we don't know how much of that worked. And we know that Boswell then struggled with uh, in subsequent seasons where the rules changed back and his drivers changed. Uh, maybe Briscoe and Boswell can you know, find that passion again, reignite the flame. But we didn't really see it in the last season. And if we're talking about continuity, then Priest is probably the top of the list. He demonstrated that he can really run well at this race last season by finishing seventh and scoring 17. Now, I also don't want to chase those points. Oh, just because he did last year, he's going to do it this year. No, but definitely needs to be on your board early in the week. And SHR is really not something that I'm completely chasing. Obviously, Hendrick and JGR, 2311, much more preferable to play this week before we see practice and qualifying. But Priest is definitely a viable option. Going down to Briscoe. Briscoe has shown some speed at this race before, too. This is, you know, shifting a little bit, trying to find that extra speed. We saw Briscoe in the next-gen car with the evolution of shifting because the cars are too heavy and don't have any downforce. You have now been forced to shift. Hopefully someday we get the horsepower back and this goes away and we get some real racing. But Briscoe is one of the first to really develop this style and identify the necessity of shifting in this heavy next-gen that lacks horsepower. And with that switch in the next-gen, Briscoe went from being one of the worst Xfinity short track drivers and worst cup short track drivers to being one of the better guys. You know, he had that surprise win at Phoenix. He laid down some laps in the clash a couple years ago. It was really looking decent. He could be there. Um, he's right there with Priest. I think I like Priest a little bit better. Not crazy about either. But they are good enough that they're going to need to be on the board and you can't take them off. Next guy who's not on the sheets, not going to have any data, is Josh Berry. This will be his first race with Rodney Childers. Yeah, Josh Berry does have plenty of late model experience. He knows how to run short tracks, short flat tracks. And we did see him make that big breakthrough win at Martinsville several seasons ago that made his career. He can do it. He can get it done. That was his real... I think first race at Martinsville in Xfinity car, we had been there in late models several times and absolutely crushed the field. So Martinsville wasn't completely foreign to him, but it wasn't necessarily like it was something he was completely familiar with being in an Xfinity car with all the pressure of the world on his shoulders and no practice, if I remember correctly. So he's going to come into this race in a bit of a hole. Now, the good thing is, no one is really that experienced at this racetrack. 
yeah, there's been practice laps last two seasons and heat races and regular races, but it's not like what he's going to experience at some of the tracks this season where some of the drivers have been to a place 10 times and he's never been there. It's going to be kind of risky and rough to roster him and Rodney Childers. Childers, though, we know has a great history of short flat track racing. He may not, you know, lost his fastball as well. It's, you know, we can put all the blame on Harvick's doorstep, but how much of it was Childers' setups? Maybe he lost a little bit. Maybe we inflated his ego a little too much based on an incredible performance during the COVID era where the rules or the deck was heavily stacked in the favor of Harvick every single week. We'll see. I don't foresee myself really wanting to go to Barry, but they are slightly on the board. And then that leaves with Gregson. I don't think I can go to Noah Gregson after the time off. Sure, he's going to be passionate. He's going to be hungry. But my thought with Noah Gregson is that he took some time to develop in the truck series. And even then, he needed more time in the truck series. He jumped up pretty quick. Would like to see him do more. But then again, he was on KBM and was constantly losing to the boss. There's nothing you can do about that. And again, when the bosses are racing, you've got to win those other races. And we saw William Byron do that. We saw Christopher Bell do that. Those drivers, well, yeah, they had to fight with the boss every other, you know, often. But when Kyle Busch wasn't in, they made sure they took care of business. No, Gregson didn't always do that. Uh, he was good, but could have been better. Probably could have used some more years of development. Although Byron and Bell didn't need it. And then he went to the Xfinity Series, and it took him quite a while to really become consistent. You know, he got that early Daytona win. He would win those races. But he was never in contention with the Custers, the Bells, the Reddicks, the Allgaiers, not early in his career. Took him a while. Then he finally got there. Him and Luke Lambert had a terrific season. Or no, it was him and Dave Ellens, I believe it was, had that terrific season. It was Ellens. And then uh, the next year, I think he was with Lambert one more year, if I remember correctly. And then they went to Cup Series together. They're no longer together. Either way, long story short, he's going to take some time to develop. And, you know, it hurt last year because that was a wounded team. Legacy Motorsports was transitioning from Chevy to Toyota. They were going to lose a lot of their connections. They were not getting the resources they needed. They were getting locked out of places. You know, they were a lame dunk organization. And maybe that hurt his performance a little bit, but it didn't seem to hurt Hosa really that much. Just now talking about Penske. Sure, you got Logano who won last season. Blaney, who has not raced well in this race the last two years, coming off this championship, maybe he phones it in a little bit. I don't have a whole lot to say. Yeah, you can't go wrong with Logano or Blaney. Um, for me, I'm not as high on them going into this race. Again, these are guys that once you see practice and qualifying, I could lead more into if they have starting position and they're up front. We know Blaney can run short flat tracks. We know Logano can run short flat tracks. You can see the data on your screen. Blaney won at Martinsville last year, second at Martinsville or Phoenix. Logano, even in an off year, finished second at New Hampshire. He won this race in 2022. They are fine. Play them. I like Hendrick and JGR more. Probably would elevate Penske slightly above 2311, but 
if you factor in price, which Logano and Blaney are likely going to be, they're both going to be more expensive than Bubba. And I think the crowd is going to identify more with them because they are great drivers. I would much rather play a little bit of the ownership game and take guys that I think are just as good and are going to overlook in the 2311 possibly. Daniel Suarez, not excited about that. His teammate, Ross Chastain, not excited about him either. He's even on the screen. Where is Ross? Ross finished seventh last year. The concern I or eighth. The concern I have was Ross Chastain. I know he did come off the win at Phoenix, but Phoenix is just probably not a comparable track. Chastain, like Hamlin, have big targets on their back. They're not very well liked. And so imagine you're in a race with a guy that nobody likes. It's an exhibition. This is where you bump the living bejesus out of somebody. You move him, you don't really worry about it. If you wreck Denny Hamlin in the clash, you're probably not going to get payback. You wreck Denny Hamlin in a couple weeks of Phoenix, he's going to give you some payback at some point in the season. It's going to be a problem. In this race, Hamlin's more than likely going to take it. In this race, Chase Chastain's more than likely going to take it. And there's not going to be revenge that comes from an exhibition race. If I know that, then the rest of the field knows that. So when I get closer to Hamlin's bumper, in a regular race, I may hesitate. In this one, I might accelerate because it's the 11 in front of me. Or it's the number one in front of me. I'm going to push it a little bit harder. He deserves it. He's a bad guy. And for that reason, I have a hard time rostering Ross Chastain in an exhibition race or Denny Hamlin in an exhibition race. Now, whereas Denny Hamlin might phone it in, Chastain's going to keep going, but that just means he's going to keep going and keep getting spun. He's going to keep going and then get wrecked again. The rest of the field doesn't like the guy. This is an opportunity for everybody to get their kicks and to push him around a little bit. I mean, put yourself in their shoes. You have a bit of a free pass, let a little bit of that frustration that Chastain's given to you over the years. This is your opportunity. Ryan Newman is very lucky that this race didn't exist when he was a part of the Cup Series. I could just imagine Newman getting put into the wall 10 times in the L.A. Clash. Justin Haley for Rick Ware. I don't know if I can go there. Oh, they've got an RFK alliance. We've heard these technical alliance stories a million times. We'll see. I have fallen for it, and I have also at times said, nope, not buying this again, and remained incredulous. Who else we got down here on the list of picks? All right, I think that pretty much circles the wagons. I'm not really crazy about Austin Cendrick. Uh, Eric Jones, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how the legacy Toyotas show up in the very first race. Like the Toyotas, like Toyotas at short track. This is going to be their very first race with these cars. A lot of question marks. Oh, the last one I want to talk about would be Chris Buescher and Brad Kozlowski have not participated in this event in the last two seasons. That does not mean it's a new track for them. They've run practice laps. They've run heat races. They just haven't qualified for the race. Yeah, it would be great if they had some experience in this 150-lap exhibition. But it's not going to be a completely foreign track to them or their engineers. And we got to give them not a free pass, but obviously the first year RFK was a bit of a struggle. They were still basically Roush. They took a big step forward in Season 2 
under Brad Keselowski's leadership. We saw Chris Buescher really transform. At Richmond, 33 fog points, 19 in the spring. And Richmond was traditionally a track that he struggled with. But he slowly improved and really started to break through last season, even at 20 at Phoenix. Brad Kozlowski, 35 at Richmond in the fall. This team is taking big strides forward. They're ready to break through. We saw pretty much a breakout from Chris Buescher. He's definitely going to be on the board despite not being in this race the last two years. Same thing with Brad Kozlowski. Don't sleep on them. Don't forget about them. Civil Minds, the Breakfast Club. That'll do it for today's Fantasy NASCAR podcast. Those are my picks. Really, I like the top guys from JGR. I like the top guys from Hendrick, Larson, and Byron. I also like the 2311 crew. Maybe the RFK guys are a little sneaky for some value. Wait and see. I mean, you can't really talk value picks until you do get qualifying and practice because we want to get some cheap place differential. But still, as we talked about with the scoring buckets, really what we want to focus a lot of our attention to, first and foremost, when that's say chasing place differential, even with value, it is about finishing position. As we said in the previous video, you know, 78% of the 303 points in the optimal lineup came from finishing position points, meaning Driver's got to finish up front first if you want to win the GPP. You want to build a winning lineup first and foremost, they got to be up front. So before we go chasing waterfalls or place differential or we go chasing hog points slash dominator slash fast slap slap sled, we really need to identify who we believe that can finish up front. You look at the 2022 clash race, 85% of the points of the 260 in the awesome lineup for finishing position. And that can happen. That can even go even higher if you have a hog that gets spun or turned. And that definitely happened last year when Bo Wallace didn't get the finish he deserved. If Bo Wallace finishes where he's supposed to finish, then you're definitely going to have a higher percentage of the points coming from dominator hog points, much higher than the 12% that happened, which was 35 that number would have increased to, what, 55 with a significant change. It work both ways. You can get hogs that stay in, but you're also more than likely to get hogs that get spun out. Anyway, your main approach is before you chase place differential, which you will do with value, as you can see, this 5,700 Austin Dillon last year, eight place differential points. Whether that's chasing or not, it was definitely something that you were thinking about pre-race. I got to save some money. I want to get some place differential. Same thing with Eric Jones and Austin Dillon the year before that. Austin Dillon really likes this track. You didn't talk about RCR. You're right, I didn't. How did I miss RCR? That's gross and disgusting. I'll talk about that in a second. Austin Dillon, nine place differential points, 6,200. Uh, all right, RCR. Well, there you can see it. Kyle Busch, although this was with JGR, he also ran well in 2023. So Kyle Busch... 2023, Aqua lineup, climbs out of a hole, passes a ton of cars at the end. Cal Bush scores a ton of hole points, 26 in the 2022 race. His teammate last year, Austin Dillon, optimal, looked really fast, knew how to get around the track. 
was he a little dirty? Yep, by Dean, dirty. He never got bumped. And he said that in his interview. People were pushing, and you just got to push or get pushed. And he was usually the pusher and the mover. And you can watch the video where I talk about the different runs. He ran six green flag runs in this race and never conceded a spot. So on the green flag runs in the 2023 race, he either gained spots or maintained position. He's the only driver to do that, I believe. And then you're going to see Austin Dillon doing well again here, too. So I would bump RCR above 2311. They're not quite at Hendrick, the JGR top tier level. I like RCR better than the bottom of JGR. I like RCR better than the bottom of Hendrick. But I'm not sure I believe in Austin Dillon more than Kyle Larson, William Byron, Truex, or Bell. Um, if you throw in a dollar perspective, then that changes. If we're just talking about driver, finishing position, I like who I said I liked. But when you factor in the price that you might get for Austin Dillon, that story is going to change a little bit. Although I'm not completely worried about salary. I actually, I'm not worried about salary at all. And I'll go ahead and throw that on the screen. You can see in last year's optimal lineup, we left $5,500 on the table. So it doesn't really matter in terms of price and savings. You just want the best plays. I can look at the 2022 clash race. You left $5,100 on the table. There's just no way that DraftKings is going to be able to price this race correctly, being an exhibition, beginning of the season, and given the format. So salary is not going to matter. So that being said, it's like, all right, well, then why are we even talking about Austin Dillon if salary doesn't matter? Because finishing position matters, and he's finishing up front. Because finishing position matters, and he's finishing up front. We're not necessarily looking at the best point-per-dollar play. Go back to what I've been hammering you on. We're looking at finishing position. If you think Austin Dillon can get a third-place finish, then he needs to be in your lineup. End of story. The driver that scores 42 points, regardless of place differential, is in the offensive lineup. Wait, what? No, you needed that place differential from Austin Dillon. No, you didn't. He scored 42 points based on finishing position. Kyle Busch scored 40.2 points total. That means Austin Dillon works without a single place differential point. Meaning a top three finish from a driver is really all you need. Who cares about place differential? You get a top five in this race, then or really a top three, you're pretty much locked into the optimal lineup. Top five, you're pretty close. Look, 42 was the bottom of the optimal lineup in 2023. 42 was the bottom in the 2022 clash race. You don't necessarily need to chase place differential. You don't necessarily need this boost of eight points from Austin Dillon. You simply need drivers that are going to finish up front. If you believe Austin Dillon can finish up front, then you play him. Salary doesn't matter. And I think Kyle Larson can finish up front. I believe William Byron can finish up front. I believe that those JGR guys have a better chance of finishing up front than other drivers. Dillon can finish up front. Bush can finish up front. Even Bowman is going to be on the board. Just ask yourself, can these guys finish up front? Thanks for joining me. Remember, raceforthepriz.com. Get that on the screen one last time. And you can find the information about how to subscribe to the fantasy. There's not even really a subscription. It's just PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, some money over to me. It's a very simple tra transaction. It's like the bodega of Daily Fantasy Sports. Throw the money on the counter, and then I'll give you your ho-ho. 
put some change on the counter, I give you your ding dong. Slide over the wadded up one, and here's a Twinkie. Would you like a soda as well? How about a pack of smokes? It's going to cost you a little bit more, but you give me the cash, I give you the goods, and then we'll both part our ways. PayPal.me slash Pierce Dietrich, Venmo.com slash Race for the Prize, Cash.app, Money Sign, Pierce Dietrich.